Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That's right. It is the H-Town Hoops podcast coming to you fresh off a, another Rockets loss. This one to the Brooklyn Nets. And it's the end of that six-game road trip. Uh, Adam, we were talking about that going into our last podcast. We are now at the end of it. Um, of course, the you know, the Rockets have, for the most part, you know, been been themselves, right? You know, they they go out there. The effort is a little bit better than it had been, but not quite enough um this most recent one here against the brooklyn nets um wanted to get your thoughts on it man kevin porter jr was the story for the rockets but obviously the nets with their three-point shooting uh and their offense there in the second half this was a game for about a half and then it's like the nets just were able to take it over and the rockets couldn't they couldn't defend the three couldn't really defend it all and it's kind of the same old story from that standpoint yeah, the Nets are a tough matchup for them because uh, the Rockets are a team, they, their main focus is on the paint. They want to defend the paint, uh, and so that means that they're going to give up a lot of threes, uh, especially the above-the-break threes, and that's kind of the team that the Nets are right now. The Nets are a team, they're not going to really beat you inside anymore. Uh, they're not going to beat you from the mid-range now that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are gone, so they're looking to generate threes. So it's not a great matchup. Uh, the Rockets, I think, did okay. I mean, you look, it's a one point. They're what they're up by one after three quarters. Uh, they handled themselves okay in this one. Brooklyn only made what eight threes in the first three quarters. I think Steven Silas and, and that group would have they would have signed up for that when the game started. But then the Nets got going and they just couldn't do anything to stop it. But all in all, it, it's a game. Obviously, the finish. It's really just the last three minutes were disappointing. I mean, they they got hit with a 20 to six run uh, at the end. So that that part of it is disappointing. But I think you look at the five games on this trip, the first game in Memphis. Good. You'll take that. It's a five point loss against one of the best teams in the NBA. The second game against Memphis was an outright disaster. And that's, you know, when you look back at, at this season, those are the games that you can't have. You can't lose by 37. I, I don't care who you're playing against. I don't know. I don't care who's hurt, who's available, you know, all that stuff. They're losing by 37 is embarrassing. And, and they kind of embarrassed themselves on Friday in Memphis. The Cleveland game is tough because the Cavs are a very good defensive team. And the Rockets just struggle to generate points against really good defenses. You saw that in that game. And, and then Monday against the Knicks, it's a back-to-back they played okay for three quarters and then they just had the doors blown off them in the fourth. And then again, you have the fourth quarter stuff from today, but you know, you look at the trip, it's a five, it's five losses. I, I think that you look back at it and you say, you know what? Three of those losses are okay. One of them was, one of them is just a really bad matchup. And then the other one is just an embarrassment with the Memphis game. You're muted. You look, you look back here at these last couple of games, specifically the ones in New York, the Brooklyn game, the, the Knicks game, and Kevin Porter Jr. is the one that is leading the Rockets in the last couple of games. This one here is 31 points, shot 50% from the field, 
Um, I thought it was a really good last couple of games from Kevin Porter Jr. Really turned it up. What were you? What have you seen from him? I guess in this in this last little stretch, especially since he's been healthy and, and really back with the team. Um, I think you're seeing a very talented player who is still learning how to play basketball and learning how to play. You know, he, he's learning how to play his role. And I say this a lot, but there is a reason why veterans and star players around the league rave about the guy because the talent is real. The talent is absolutely real. And it's, it's just, it's one of those things. It's not going to ever happen for him overnight. It's not going to be one of those things where it just boom clicks. And now he's a star there. There are growing pains because they are asking him to do so much. Like I don't think people quite understand just how different his role is today than what it was when he first came into the league. And, are, is he getting better at that role? Absolutely. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that sort of improvement. Is he ever going to be a great point guard? I don't know. I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a great point guard, but you've got to give this whole thing some time to grow. And I don't think that they thought that he would be, he, they, I don't think they thought he would be a great point guard overnight. And to me, we're two years, this is kind of an experiment to a certain degree. We're two years in and there's improvement. Like there, there is stuff that has gotten better. There, there is more stuff that needs to get better. He's got to, you know, he, he's got to, you know, just kind of, he's got to figure out the instincts of being a point guard. He doesn't have that right now because he's never had to do it. And so you're not just going to all of a sudden, you know, become an, an, an instinctual point guard, I guess, is what I'm trying to say overnight. That's, you know, that sort of stuff gets developed. And I remember a couple of years ago when they had John Wall and I, it was either, Silas was talking about this either with Wall or he was talking about it with Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder. You know, two natural point guards, two guys who have played point guard essentially their entire career. And, and the one thing that Silas said about those two was that, you know, obviously they know how to they know how to get you in your offense. They know how to organize your offense. But at the same time, they also know when this player needs a shot or when this player needs a touch. And they're really good about getting those players that touch or that shot when they need it. And that's something that I really think that Kevin Porter Jr. really needs to learn. And he's not supposed to know how to do it right away. This is stuff that all takes time. And, you know, they committed to him uh, before the season with the contract extension. I don't think he's done anything this season where you say that contract extension was a mistake. I think that he has earned that. And I do think that he's a guy that you look at as he should be a part of the future. Now, should he be the starting point guard moving forward? We'll see. I don't know if he will be, but he certainly should be a part of this rotation moving forward. Yeah, I would even go further to say as far as the part about the contract, I feel like he's validated it. Like you you absolutely see why you would give him like we know why they kind of hedged the bets with the contract a little bit. But you certainly see why they would want to invest in him as a player after his performance this year. I, I certainly see it. And, and we've talked about this before, just in terms of him being like he has been their best player this year. You know, he went through that stretch, that 20-plus game stretch there where he didn't play. He's got the the foot or the toe or whatever the hell it was, the the, the injury that kept him out for, for all of that time. But when he's been on the floor, he's been their best player. And I wonder about this too, Adam, on the point guard point, because I don't I don't necessarily think he's – he's obviously not a natural point guard. That's why this is an experiment. And so it's, it's going to be rough sometimes. It's not going to always look good. But, like, I, I also wonder – point guard or not, or and whoever the point guard is, but especially if it's Kevin Porter Jr. or anybody that's that's trying to figure it out, 
Like, how hard is it to do that job and to play that role when the people around you are also learning? Your teammates, the, the, the guys that you're feeding, the decisions that you're making and the people that you're making them toward are also still trying to figure out how to play their roles respectively. And so it's not just Kevin Porter Jr. Um, I mean, he's the focal point of it because he's the point guard and has the ball so much. But it's everybody that's trying to learn how to play basketball at the same time um, and trying to learn how to play basketball at this level. We talk about them being young, but it's not just the youth. It's the it's specifically the inexperience, you know. And and, and so to me. I, I don't know if it's if if it's the right way to say grading on a curve, but I feel like that's a that's an appropriate level of context when you're evaluating Kevin Porter Jr., uh, even when it looks whether it looks rough or when it's looking good. Yeah, that's the key part is that everyone's young. So there isn't that one guy on the floor who can get everyone organized when maybe Porter can't, you know, because in the game moves so quickly too. like, that's the other part of it. You're, you know, it's fast on TV. So imagine what it's like when you're actually on the floor in the middle of it. And so it's all about the game slowing down. Is the game slowing down for him right now? I think it is. I mean, you see him every single night. It does look like it's slowing down for him. Um, again, the mistakes are there, the lapses are there, but that's to be expected. Um, I, I, like you said, I, I think he's been their best player this season. Uh, you saw how much they missed him uh, for those 20 games when he was off the floor. Uh, he he adds stuff to their offense that nobody else can do. Um, defensively, he competes. You know, he doesn't always compete hard. There are there are plenty of lapses over on that end, but he's willing to take the challenge and he wants the challenge of guarding the big time player on the other team. And he can, he can hold up. I mean, he's a big, strong guy. Um, so I, I think that they should be encouraged by what they've seen from him this season. And, uh, and let me just, I, I want to check the numbers real quick. Um, and again, it, the numbers aren't entirely fair because he did miss 20. And that's a big, that's a fourth of the season that he missed, but you look, the scoring is way up. Um, I don't know if you care about steals, but steals are are up. Uh, he's rebounding a lot more this year than he has in the past. The assists are down, but I think part of that too is that he hasn't had the ball quite as much this season as he has in the past, and the turnovers are up. But he's becoming a more efficient scorer. Uh, he's not shooting the ball as well from three as he did uh, last season, but he's shooting better from the field, and he's getting to the free throw line much more. So the numbers that I think that you want to see get better – this season, they have gotten better. The efficiency is up. The free throws are up. Um, and the rebounding, too, for, for a guard. You know, you want to see your guards rebound a little bit, and he's willing to to kind of mix it up with the big guys. Since you since you pulled the numbers up, Adam, I'm, I'm curious. Who is their best three-point shooter? And we've talked about how bad they are at three. Who, who, are, who, who is the Rockets' best three-point shooter with five games left to go? Uh, hang on. Let me find it. Let me find it. Let me Because I, I have a feeling – the answer is going to make you laugh. Well, if it, I mean, if it's Usman Garuba, then, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like I can, and I, and I, and let me say this too. I'm way over the Usman Garuba as three point shooting threat thing. Like when he had made his first three or five or whatever it was, um, it was like a cool novel story, but I'm not nearly as much into it now, but the you ready for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me know. Let me know which one. Usman Garuba leads the team at forty-six percent. That's on less than one attempt a game. Of course, he's so does. that's not going to count. Um, if you go down the list, Tari Easton is taking two a game, 
and he he's shooting 35%. Again, not great. Nope. Now, once you start, now you have your two highest volume three-point shooters this year. Um, well, not your highest, but Porter is third on the team at 34.8%. He's taking six a game. So of your high volume three-point shooters, he's been the best. Eric Gordon was at 34.7% yep. when he got traded. The highest volume three-point shooter for them this season is Jalen Green. He's at 337 And then you have Jabari Smith, who is at uh, just a hair below 31% this season. Yeah. So, so uh, the high volume three-point shooters, Porter has been the best, which is difficult because he has the ball in his hands a lot. And I, I got to yep. look and see, like, the catch-and-shoot stuff for him was where he really thrived, yep. but he wasn't taking a lot of catch-and-shoot threes last year because he always had the basketball in his right. hands. So I, I got to see if the catch-and-shoot numbers are still there because maybe next year if there's another point guard and he's on the floor with that other point guard, that gives him some more catch-and-shoot opportunities because I think that's the one thing that this team doesn't really have, aside from Porter, is that they don't really have the guy who can get into their drive-and-kick game. And yep. when Porter was out those 20 games – the driving kick game was basically non-existent because he was the only guy who could really do it. Um, so if you have somebody else who can get you in that driving kick game, then all of a sudden he's there for those catch and shoot threes. Yeah. And that was why that was my whole reason for bringing it up, Adam, because I, I didn't have the numbers in front of me, but just from watching all the games, my point was it feels like he's been their best three point shooter this year. Uh, you know, uh, Eric Gordon aside, obviously no longer on the team, but out of the guys left on the team, it, feels like he's their best three-point shooter and this is not to knock on kevin porter jr or disrespect to him he's like i've i've liked what he's done this year or the progress that he's made but i don't feel like that guy should be your best your best shooter you need more you need more shooters than that he's a he's a shot creator and a shot maker and the points you make about the catch and shoot also something that i was thinking about like he's pretty good on the catch and shoot but there's nobody that can create shots to allow him to be a catch and shoot threat. He's got to be that guy. And going back to the point of asking him to do so much, like, you know, it's, and, and I, I said earlier on a previous podcast that he was miscast that that probably wasn't the, the right term that I was looking for, but I think he could be better cast. I think there could be maybe a better role or if they just had better players on the team, he would be he would look even better you know um and, and of course somebody's got to be the best player on a terrible team but you'd also like to figure what it looks like when kevin porter jr is around more experienced players which these guys will be next year and obviously more talented players which hopefully uh for their sake is something that they're going to be adding in the draft here with this high pick so uh so 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 kevin porter jr to me um is to me, a, a, an overall positive story, even if he's not playing in the role that you suspect he might play in uh, down the line. I, I would agree with the the points you made earlier about, hey, this is obviously and definitely somebody that should be a part of the long-term plan in the future. Yeah, and I, I think that he, he can score the basketball, he can pass, he can get to the rim. Like, he can beat you from all three levels, and I think that's what you're looking for with a guard. Now, if he were coming off the bench and he were going up against second units, I mean, he would be tremendous and you'd be looking at him maybe as one of the best bench players in the league. But then the, the question becomes, well, is he good enough to, to do it against starters? And I think that he's shown you that he's good enough on some nights. He just doesn't have the level of consistency. Now, can he get to the point where to where he can be consistent enough 
to carry an offense against starting units, we'll see. There are nights when it's there. There are nights when it's not there. Tonight in the first quarter, he was bad. But once you got to the second, third, and fourth quarters, he was excellent. He he scored 29 points on uh, – it was an efficient 29 points too. It was 29 points on 15 or 16 shots the final three quarters of the game. I mean, that's as good as it gets right there. Plus, he had six assists. He had nine rebounds and just one turnover. I mean, that's that's a tremendous game. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Let's move on to Jabari uh, because Jabari Smith Jr. obviously has – as we've talked about through previous episodes, has been a lot better since the All-Star break. This game in particular, he, uh, he goes, looks like he had 12 and 12, didn't necessarily shoot it particularly well, uh, only five or 14 from the field, but he's had in one or five from three, and we know he's, he's struggled to shoot the ball at various points of the season for most of the season, but he's also had some really, really good moments uh, some that we've highlighted, but even some since we've highlighted those, um, it's getting a little bit of national attention as well. Um, it feels yes, like it the, there was a big story. Written <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a big story written about him. Now it would have been nice if the takeaway, if the big takeaway from that big story that was written about him was a more so about him. But I figure we can use that as an opportunity here to highlight what it is that it feels like national media is starting to get a hold of or or, or a sense for, and that's that. Jabari Smith Jr. is putting it together late here in the season, similar to the way it seemed like Jalen Green was last year. Yeah, I think that with with Smith, people get fixated on the shooting numbers, and the shooting numbers haven't been good, and they weren't good again tonight. But I do think that he's shown signs that the shooting is going to come around. And, you know, there have been enough good games over the second half of the season to where you're pretty confident that the shooting is going to be fine. The thing that I, that I think has been really encouraging – is just his activity on the floor where he has an impact on a whole lot of other things. Like the rebounding is a big deal. Yep. I mean, to, to have 12 rebounds in a game and to have, you know, this is not, it's not a great defensive rebounding team. Uh, and I'd have to look and see exactly where they are when he's off the floor. And part of it is because Alperin Shingun is, you know, Alperin Shingun had 12 rebounds as well tonight, but eight of them were offensive rebounds. So th- there's your center who's only coming up, with four offense with uh, four defensive rebounds in a game, which isn't great. So um, they really need him to go and, and get the basketball and to help end possessions because they're a bad defensive team as it is. If they aren't finishing rebounds, if they're giving up second chance opportunities, they have no chance. Uh, and so he's been a really good rebound. I've, I've been pleasantly surprised uh, by his defensive rebounding this season because he's not a big guy. So it's not something that I think you would have expected. Oh, he, he's going to be really good at this. Um, so for him to be just active like that and make plays like that, I think has been really important. And um, so so I think that's been a big positive for him this season. Uh, and they've actually, you know, the on-off stuff with the defensive rebounding, it does not, does not make the point that I was hoping that it would make. But, you know, the point still stands is that, you know, when you are, I think he might be leading, He he's either first or second among all rookies in defensive rebounding. And again, there are, there are some rookies in this class that are much, much bigger than he is. But yet uh, he's still coming away with rebounds. I think that's been important. I think the defensive stuff will come uh, as, uh, as time progresses, as he gets stronger, but he, he's getting better. And that's yeah. really all that you care. Like it, it, he is a much different player today 
than he was back when the season started in October. And that's what you care about. You're only, you know, you're not going to go from A to B right away. There are steps that go in between, and he is taking those steps. Yeah, you mentioned his activity and specified the rebounding. One of the things that I'm looking at or that has stood out to me about Jabari lately, about Jabari Smith Jr. lately, is that he just seems so much more comfortable. We're talking about activity. He seems so much more comfortable putting the ball on the floor and making moves, like picking his spots on the floor. Um, like, like he just seems so much more comfortable handling the basketball, passing the basketball. Was it the, the Knicks game where he's got – uh, he's got a pass on the break, and I forget who it must. I think it was to KJ. KJ Martin finishes it on the break, and it just—it's a—it's a pass. It's a no-look pass with a swagger and confidence that I feel like Jabari Smith Jr. has always had, but you weren't really seeing him play with it at a certain point uh, when he was really struggling. But seeing him put the ball on the floor more, you're seeing him uh, pick his spots. Uh, seeing him pass the ball, you mentioned the rebounding, which is really, really big. I hadn't thought about it in the context of Shingun, is the way you pointed it out, but that's that's also a good way to look at it as well. Like, I just figure he's 6'10, 6'11, whatever he is, he should be rebounding, but but that is a plus. And, and it would be concerned, I think it would be concerning, even though he's you know, he's got a slight build, it would be concerning if he wasn't showing you some of that because you expect him to be a defensive presence and. And obviously, as a big as somebody to to rebound, um, so it, it's it seems like it's really coming together. He seems a lot more comfortable, even in nights like this when he doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. It still feels like the point that you made that he's just a totally different player. That he's, you know, I I wouldn't say it's night and day. It's still sort of you know the same player profile, but you just see the progression. You know, you can see that you know the the games that he played earlier were the result of having never played an NBA game. And the games that he's playing now are the results of having played roughly 70 something of them. So, uh, and, and he talked about that in the ESPN article that we, that we were referencing um, before it went off the rails. Um, he mentioned how, you know, if he could talk to, you know, the, the, the rookie coming in, he would tell him to be a little less hard on himself and, and, you know, to just kind of, focus on the task at hand and not be such a harsh critic of himself. Um, and I think he's learning that and kind of growing into that. Yeah. And he, I think we talked about this. It might've been last week, but a, a lot of his confidence has grown because he knows the guys around him and the, and he knows what they do well. And the guys around him know what he does well. So they know now, Hey, he's really good when he gets the ball in this spot. So let's make sure that we get him the ball in this spot. And he understands, like you talk about the lobs, he, he had one, I think it was against the Warriors, he had one also, where he threw up a lob to KJ. It was not a good pass, it wasn't necessarily a good decision, but he knew the guy who he was throwing the lob to, and he knew that guy could actually go up, get it, and throw it down. So again, that's understanding the guys that you're playing with, which again, when you are, he's playing with all these guys for the first time. Every single one of these guys he is playing with for the first time. Uh, he played against some of these guys before, but playing, you know, just because you played against Tari Eason once or twice in the SEC, it doesn't mean you know everything about Tari Eason's game. It takes time to really know and understand. And the same thing with him trying to learn, you know, learn off of Shingun. You know, they had a little bit of work in training camp, but that's it. 
you know, you're not, they didn't have a very long training camp. You don't, those practices aren't going all day and all night. You know, you, it, it takes time to figure out all this stuff. So, you know, this, this is going to be, we're going to have the same conversation with whoever they draft in, in July or in June. It's going to take time. It does not happen overnight with this stuff. You know, it, this isn't 2K. It's in 2K where you just jump in and boom, you're all ready to go. No, it, it takes time. There's a learning process. There's a learning curve that goes with this. And so really the only thing that you want to see is that you want to see improvement. If you're not seeing improvement, if you're seeing regression, then you have a problem. But I said this uh, this time last year. You saw all those guys progress. The guys who are playing, you saw them progress. This year, you're seeing these guys progress. That's all that matters. Would you like to see them win some more games? Sure, you'd like to see them win some more games. Would you like to see them be a little more competitive in every single one of these games? Absolutely. But this is the way it goes. And they're playing in the Western Conference. And you look at the West. There are 15 teams. There are 14 other teams in the West. So that's, let's see, I'm trying to do math in my head. They're playing 52 games against Western Conference opponents. Four of those are against the Spurs. So 48 games, they are playing against teams that are much, much, much better than they are. And those are uh, 48 games against teams that are competing and trying to win this season. That is a very tough way to really get introduced to the NBA. Yeah, I like your comment on this ain't 2K. uh, Because another thing, you know, maybe not in a 2K way, but I I feel like there is a tendency to want to do the way too early prediction and projection on what a guy is based off of you know just what you know at that moment and that's just hard to do you know it's hard to do like obviously if somebody looks amazing you can say hey well (laughs) that guy it looks like that guy is going to be amazing but if they don't necessarily right away that does not mean that they're not going to be amazing it just means that they're not amazing yet you know, um, and, and that's one of the things that I think uh, was, you know, the commentary around Jabari was easy to struggle with. Uh, and I even struggled with this a little bit in, in watching him and saying, OK, can I watch him right now and project and, or predict? Is that somebody that you take with the number three overall pick or is he going to be that? I mean, and, and I mean, not not to second guess the pick, because, you know, at, at the time, it seemed like he could go number one overall. So like he was he, number one on many, many boards. Right. So you were, yeah. So this isn't to even second guess that it, it, it's to also acknowledge that they were in some ways, if you think about it from that context, lucky for him to fall to them at number three, but based off of what we were seeing earlier in the season, it was like, man, is that, is that the guy that, you know, we sort of get, we were trying to project that he was and, and, you know, that you would like to see be, the, the, the production that you would like to see from the number number three overall pick do you see that in that guy and it's like man i don't know you can't tell that just from the guy barely playing any games and it was unfair to him as as desperate as people were to want to have something to say about it and you don't want to have nothing to say about it but sometimes you do have to wait and see or you do have to acknowledge hey this doesn't look good right now these things these particular things don't look good right now but here's how they can be better. And here's, you know, here's like a reasonable amount of time to expect that to get better and those sort of things. And I feel like we, for the most part, did that. But, you know, it was, I guess, in the beginning, somewhat startling that, OK, a guy who's profiled to be a knockdown shooter isn't shooting the ball well. You know, and I've said this too: a guy whose form looks like that 
the 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 shot should fall way more often than it does when you know considering his form and you know and and, and just the his history of shooting the ball so uh so i so i think there was some uh you know a quick a little bit of quick to judge there a little bit with with jabari smith but we're seeing some of those things come together and one of the things i liked him talking about um which we already know this but it's cool to see him experience it and realize it and and articulate it but it's just the difference between the college game we're going to get into final four uh, talking just a little bit but the difference between playing at auburn and playing in the sec playing against tar eason in the sec ain't the same as playing with tar eason in the nba and uh and my man has learned that that is two i think this is a quote a direct quote from him is that it's two totally different games um and he's he is Figuring out, learning how to play this particular one, this game. Yeah, and playing against Missouri <laughs> on a Tuesday night in January is a little different than playing against the Phoenix Suns on a Tuesday night in January. I mean, yeah. you're you are playing against grown men, or even the Spurs, even the Spurs. Yes, yeah. that that's a that's a really good point because we could take. Uh, my guess is we could take the top twelve picks. Of the 2022 draft, or the 20, we could take the top 12 picks of any draft and put them in the NBA as one team, and they would get their asses beat over mm-hmm. the course of an entire season because yes. they don't know how to play. They yeah. don't know how to play. You know, you're throwing them all together. All, you're throwing that. It doesn't matter how talented you are if you don't know how to play. If you don't know what you're doing. If you are smaller, you know, physically then whoever you're going up against, you're going to lose most of the time. That's just how this is. Talent can only get you so far. The know-how is the next part of it. And so they they got knocked around by San Antonio early in the year a couple times because the Spurs were playing vets. And were the Rockets much more talented than that Spurs team? Absolutely. But the Spurs played harder those two games, and they knew what they were doing those two games. And that stuff matters so much because it you could be – you could get the five most talented guys in the world on the floor. If they don't know what they're doing, then they have no chance against a team that does know what they're doing. So that's the big aspect of this. That's the part that nobody wants to to think about because you always hear, you know, it's always the joke, Bama against the Lions, who wins? Well, the Lions are going to win every single time. That's just how this is because everybody who plays on the Lions is already in the NFL, whereas some of the guys on Bama are in the NFL. That's just how this works. So, the the vets are always going to win out most of the time you know not all the time but most of the time the older teams are just simply better because they know what they're doing they're bigger they're stronger they have been at this for many 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 more years well side note the lions might actually be getting pretty yeah it's good, not a great so. it's not a great year for that no example. well yeah but I, I mean i know why you used it because Texans it, versus bama well the point i was going to make is that the fact that the lions are actually that this is not a great year to use it and that they might actually be pretty good. It's just another sign that the world is kind of on its ass. Uh, Cause what do we do with that? You know, what do we do with the lions being good? Uh, but anyway, I want to switch over to Jalen green. Dude is such a fun player to watch, but also can be such a maddening player to watch at times. It, it is an interesting watch. It just, it, it really is because I mean, he's just got an immense amount of ability and it kind of goes back and forth on how it manifests itself on a given night. You know, sometimes it's, you know, 30, 40 points. 
And and every now and then it's actually some really efficient shooting. We we also talk about the big difference in his game this year being somewhat of the, the physicality and getting to the line, shooting free throws and all of that. But on this road trip, man, it seems like it just went back and forth. You know, he's good in one game. He's just, he's okay the next. He, he hasn't been bad. But like tonight, for example, uh, you look up coming off of a – 30 point night in the guard or didn't he go for 30 in the garden or am I mistaken that? Yeah, I believe you're right. Or am I thinking about the, uh, or am I thinking about the Cavs game? Either way, the, this, this particular game against the, uh, you know, against the, against the nets, you know, it's another one of those inefficient five of 13, 14 points. Um, and, and again, it comes off of, some of these performances where it's like, Hey, that's that, that, you know, that's, that's pretty good. You know, um, you know, this it's, it's, it's a constant, it's seeming like a constant back and forth. Yeah. So it was, it was 19 at the garden and the 30 came against Cleveland. So 14 against Brooklyn, 19 against the Knicks, but had 30 against Cleveland. Um, 32 two games before that against Memphis. And then in between there, there's the other Memphis game with 13. It's just back and forth. We talked about the inconsistency before on the podcast, but you know, there, there's only a few games left in the season. And, you know, we, this, the, the Jalen green season has pretty much been judged already. What, what can we do? What can we say about his game? that he can do to be more consistent? What can Jalen Green do to be more consistent as a basketball player? You know, I, I'm trying to find it as you were talking, but I, I believe um, Jonathan Fagan wrote something uh, recently about how um, Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green never have never played well on the same night. Yeah. And you saw it. You saw it again. I'm, I'm trying to find the story because I haven't had a chance to read it. Yeah. But, and and, and, I and think that's, that's Jonathan Fagan at the Houston Chronicle. Yeah, I, I believe Jonathan wrote about this. Um, but and you look at it again tonight where um, Porter has the big night yeah. and Green struggles. And it just it, it seems like it, it's difficult for the two of them to get going. And, and I think part of that is um, I think they tend to recognize, OK, he's going tonight. I'm going to let him go. And so all of a sudden, a night like tonight. Porter's usage goes way up. Green's usage goes down a little bit. So I think that that's kind of the next step for them is to just have good games together. So I think that I think and I'll have to see if I can find this at some point. But that that to me is what stands out because Silas did an interview um, earlier today and that point got brought up. And I and I think usage was something that he said is kind of a reason for why they don't seem to play well on the same night. But for Green overall, I think that the season's been fine. You know, he's we we talked about this with Porter. Uh, the, the numbers that you wanted to see get better for him this season have gotten better. Uh, the only thing I, I think the the big issue that you would have is just the shooting, yep. and the, the shooting hasn't hasn't quite been there. Um, let me find it. Uh, but you know, usage is up. Scoring is up. He's been less efficient, but he's getting to the free throw line more. He's, he's, uh, finding ways to impact the game in other ways. He's rebounding more. He's playmaking more. Um, the turnovers are up a little bit more, but part of that, he's just had the ball in his hands a little bit more, but you know, 
he was taking three and a half free throws a game. He's at six this year. I mean, he's almost doubled that number. So I think overall you say that it's been, it's been a good, you know, it hasn't been, I think the great year that people were expecting. I think people thought that he'd be averaging, you know, 25, 28 points a game this season. And we'd be talking about him as an all-star. It doesn't work that way. Again, you're trying to get from a to B, but you don't just get there overnight. You know, there are steps that go with this. And so he's got to get better. You know, that it's a big summer for him. I, I think that you saw the work that he put in last year and he got better coming into this season. Now, can he put it together? Can he continue to have that same type of growth? So I think overall, they would tell you that they're pretty happy with the season that he had. Again, the shooting has got to get better. The shooting's got to get more consistent. So I think that's what you're looking at more is just, can he become a more consistent shooter? If that comes, then I think he'll be fine. And, you know, you would like to see him be better than 41.5% from the field and 33.7 from three, but I think he's shown you that he can get there. And uh, the uh, the you've seen, I think you've seen the ceiling. I think you've seen, you know, what he can actually get to. The floor is low also, but I think the ceiling is also very high and it remains that way. Yeah, I feel like the ceiling really lies in what you just talked about. It it, it lies in the shooting. Like, and this is just math, I guess, but base, pretty basic math. But when the shot is falling, yeah. those are the those are the nights when those point totals are, are up. It's 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 the nights when that jumper does look good or when that jumper is finding the bottom of the net when he has those high volume shooting nights or those high volume scoring nights, I should say. Um, and then when you look up and the jumper's broken, some nights it is. Uh, it is it is a, a I mean just flat out an inconsistent uh, an inconsistent jumper an inconsistent jump shot right now, which I think is probably the thing. If I were going to say something to be disappointed about, it would be that, because I thought the jump shot was fairly inconsistent last year, um, regardless of whatever, even the difference in numbers are. I just, I've, I've felt that now two years in, he's a guy with an inconsistent jump shot. Like that's just the, that's the bill on him right now, but everything else. Oh my God. Like everything else is there. And that's when you talk about the, the the ceiling and the potential it's like oh my god but you know if you got to guard this guy you better pray to god he never figures out that jump shot because once he's once he does he's going to be an extreme he's going to be an extreme problem for guys but but the area of growth is um he has two games this season where he shot eight of 24 from the field and still scored 30 points because yeah, that's line. not happening because he got to the line right yes yep. and yep. you know there was one game against phoenix 8 of 24, 30 points. He attempted 16 free throws. A game against Utah, 8 of 24, scored 30 points because he got he took 11 free throws. Yeah. So that's where that's where the growth is. Yep. Is that he can have those awful shooting games, but still be efficient scoring the basketball because he's getting to the free throw line. You know, he had a game against Philly where he scores 29 and shoots six of 20 from the field. How did he get to 29? He made 15 free throws. And so I don't, you know, I'm not making the Harden comparison here. But James Harden would have some really bad shooting nights, but you would still look up and say, oh, wow, this is kind of an efficient game. And it was because he was living at the free throw line. So I do think that uh, Green has done a pretty good job this season of understanding, you know what? The shot isn't there, so I'm going to get to the line. He had a game against Indiana, uh, 16 points. He made two shots. How did he score 16 points when you only make two shots? You get to the free throw line 15 times. 
So that's the big area of growth. That's what we, you know, he's almost doubled his, his free throw attempts this season. And I think, first of all, he, he kind of understands how to draw contact and get fouls called. He had one tonight uh, against Brooklyn where he did a really good job of kind of angling his body so the contact would be there, and then he's still able to finish at the rim. So I think that's been a really good sign of just kind of understanding, you know, how, you know, the intricacies of getting to the rim and scoring in traffic and drawing fouls because, you know, drawing fouls is essentially an art. You know, it's yeah. not one of those things that, you know, just happens. Like you have to understand how to do it. You have to understand, you know, first of all, if you're going to take contact, you still have to be able to get the shot up a lot of times in order. That's because that's the only way that you're going to get the call. Or you're going to get to the free throw line or get the N one, uh, you know, possibility. So he's, he's learning, he's learning how to do that. And I, I think that you just kind of see how he's learning the game and you can kind of see how he's just kind of gotten a better understanding for how to play the game at a high level. Yeah, these these last five games actually really sort of illustrate this Jalen Green experience that we're talking about here, like against Brooklyn on Wednesday night here. He's got he's just got 14 points on five of 13 shooting. But to that free throw point, he shoots nine free throws, but only makes four of them. Yeah. So, so he's, he's not free throw shooting here. So, so he's not shooting it well from the field. He's not shooting it well from the free throw line. He's just, it's just not a good offensive night. But the game before that in the garden against the Knicks, he's got 19, but 10 of the points come from the free throw line. And he goes 10 or 12 from the free throw line, even though he's not taking a ton of shots. The 30 point game, going back to the point that I was making about when that jumper is falling. That 30-point game against Cleveland, okay, and I figure you figure that's a game that they get up for. Cleveland's a good team, and then he's got the draft made in there with uh, Evan Mobley. You figure that's a game he gets, gets up for. Kevin Porter Jr. going there for the first time. I figure they would have been excited for that game, but he goes 5 of 11 from 3. So, yeah, he's going to go. He's going to score 30 points if he can get 15 of them from 3, from three and shoot efficiently from there. Um, and then the game before that, against memphis he's six of 15 from the field but he only goes to the free throw line twice so that's 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 a and and misses all three of his three-point shots so that's a that's just that's a bad Jalen green game because you're not compensating for the fact that you're not shooting well but the game before that against memphis makes all nine of his free throws on his way to 32 points and it was a good shooting game so everything came together there so it's it, it's one of those things where if it's like if, if one thing's not coming together, you need the other one. And his worst games are the ones where he's not doing either one, where the jumper's broken and he's not getting to the foul line. You know, I'm looking at his game log from last year because I remember it was his third game and he scored the 30 against Boston. And people made a big deal because I think he was the fastest player to ever get to 30 points in a game. It was something like that. Or the youngest, was, yeah, some, yeah. Something, yeah, yeah, something like that. The, the fastest player because it was his third game. He has 30. You look at you look back, he scored the 30 because he made eight threes. So, I mean, that's that's a little bit of fool's gold right there. It's like, great, it's a 30 point game, but it's not a sustainable 30 point game. Yeah, he when, when was the when was when was the next time he made eight threes? Um, let's see. I was gonna guess he, he, he has not, yeah, he did yeah. not do it last year, yeah, but. He, you, you go through the game log, he didn't take a free throw his first four NBA games. 
Now, I, I don't think he is going to go through a stretch ever again where he doesn't attempt four free or he doesn't attempt a, a free throw in four games. Right. Um, and and the eight three pointers that he made against he has not done that this season either. And so uh, Jalen Green, his first four NBA games, he did not attempt a free throw. This season, he has a total of five games where he has not attempted a free throw. So that, again, that shows you the growth where he's getting to the free throw line essentially every single night. You know, I I think that we will probably, he will probably end this season with five games where he did not attempt a free throw. Let me see what it was last year. Because again, it was the first four he did not attempt a free throw. Last year, he had 15 games where he did not attempt a free throw. This year, we're down to five with five games to go. Again, that's growth. That's what you want to see. You want to see him being able to get to the line. And my guess is next year, he will probably have fewer than five games where he doesn't get to the free throw line. Again, that's what you want to see. You want to see him get better at all areas of the game. It's not just those big top line numbers. It's not just the scoring. It's not just the shooting. You want to see improvement everywhere else. No doubt. No doubt. We got five games left. I'm just going to ask you this before we move on to our tournament uh, and final four predictions and thoughts to to close this thing out what constitutes a successful final five games of a season where you're already uh one of the worst teams in the league and um and you're not seem, you're not seemingly playing for much um nobody get hurt i mean that's really all all it is just nobody get hurt. yeah just get, get through it you're not really going to accomplish a whole lot it's not like you're going to make some sort of massive improvement uh, in the next five games. Let's just get out. Let's just get out of here. Make sure that everybody's healthy so that they can go into the offseason and really get because that's when the improvement really comes. You know, the summer is when you really have an opportunity to get better because you can be in the gym every single day and work on your game. You know, when you're when it's an NBA schedule, you're playing games every other day. And so you don't have the opportunity to really work on your game because you're resting so that you can get ready for the next game that you have to play. So get through these games, keep everybody healthy these next five games, and then have a productive summer. I have a a weird, maybe quirky thing that I think that they should be doing. I mean, I'll just ask you this straight up. Am I weird for thinking that they should? (laughs) But honestly, am I weird for thinking that they should be playing Ty Ty Washington in this season? Uh, I think they might, uh, but they're in the G League playoffs. They're in the G League playoffs right now. So um, the G League playoffs. Hey, that matters to those guys, and I I can tell they they won today. uh, And the G League playoffs are pretty quick. the The first three rounds are single elimination, and so they actually, you know, I I watched the end of this game today because they they went on a seven zero run at the end of the game to to steal it against the I guess they're the South Bay Lakers. So they play again on Friday. So they've got the Western Conference semifinals in the G League on Friday afternoon against Memphis. So, you know, he's been with that team the whole year, and it, it meant a lot to the guys that won the G League championship last year. So my guess is he will he will play on Friday uh, in Memphis uh, in the Western Conference semis. If they lose that game, then I imagine he will be back in Houston for the game on Sunday against the Lakers. But it really doesn't matter. Like, let's be honest. It 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 doesn't matter. Uh, my guess is he will be uh, with their summer league team next year. And then that's when really things will start for him. You know, he'll have a season in the organization under his belt. 
you know, he'll kind of have a much better understanding of the NBA game once you get into next summer. And he'll essentially be the leader of their G League team, uh, along with, you know, the two guys that they draft. And I'm sure they'll, there are a couple other guys that they'll that they'll bring in. So um, go win a championship because he, he's been with those guys for most of the season. And I do think that stuff like that actually does matter. It might not matter to fans out there but it, it matters to the players that have been there that entire season. It matters to the coaching staff that has been there that entire season. And this run for them has kind of come out of nowhere because um, they were, I think they had to go nine and two just to make the playoffs. And so now they're in the playoffs. They stole a game today. So go get a couple more wins and get you a championship. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know what you sold me on that. The, the, the one thing I try to to do is, consider as much as I can. Um, and I realize sometimes the interest of fans and media conflicts with the interest of players and the things that matter to them don't always matter to, to, to us and vice versa. But I could see this from a, from an interpersonal standpoint, the, those, those being just as much of his teammates as the guys on the Rockets and having relationships and all of that and, and, and want to do that. I guess I had, I had not thought of it from the G league angle, more so of the, Hey, I think that that guy with a little bit more experience and time up here might actually be the backup point guard or, or the fact that this is a team that, you know, one of its glaring weaknesses that we've talked about at nauseum is the lack of traditional point guard play. So, you know, I, I felt like it mattered to, for him to get as much NBA experience as he possibly could. But that G League, I mean, I what I do see from him with the with the G League team, with the Vipers, is that he'd be down there balling. And every time I look up, somebody's got this wild, ridiculous stat line for for Ty Ty Washington, uh, and and it almost makes, always makes me think, yeah, because like he's not a like a very good plus super plus NBA player yet, but he's better than those guys in the G League. He's a, he's he's better than G League talent. So it, it always makes me think, yeah, that's because he should be in the NBA, you know. But but yeah, go like you said, go win a championship, have a good time, live your life, be young, uh, have fun. Damn sure ain't winning nothing in the NBA uh, at, at this point in time. And, and it's not just him, too, over there. It's also Darius Days. Yes. And, and I do think that Darius Days has kind of positioned himself well uh, with the organization, with how he's played down in the G League. And that, I think that's another guy who they probably – I'm somewhat surprised they haven't converted him to, you know, an NBA contract at this point uh, just to, you know, have him locked down for, for next year and kind of do – you know, a similar thing to what they did with Dacian Nix last year, where Nix was on a two-way. He was a talented guy that they that they really liked. Um, obviously, that hadn't worked out, you know, this season. But you give, you know, Days the kind of that same sort of contract, you know, that's non-guaranteed for most of it. And you, you bring him in camp and you give him a chance to, to earn a job next year. But I do think that he's positioned himself well this season moving forward. And that's another guy who... You know, we can start constructing the summer league roster already. You have Washington, you have Days, you have the two guys that they take in the first round. Trey Mitchell, who's been with the G League program now for a couple of years, he's a guy that I think they like. So, you know, you can Trevor Hudgens, who's on a two-way right now, will probably be part of that team too next year. So, you know, you can kind of see how the summer is shaping up just on that end of the spectrum. All right, let's get out of here on this one, man. We got the final four. I don't know if people realize this. But it's quite the hell of a weekend in Houston this weekend. We got the Final Four hosting the Final Four. Obviously, the University of Houston did not make it. Neither did the University of Texas. 
So there are no local ties from what I understand, except there's like one kid on Florida Atlantic's team that's like from San Diego State. Or is it San Diego State's team? San Diego State, yeah. All right, one kid from San Diego State. I didn't even know which one. I knew it was one of the one of the kids from the game that you know people are probably going to watch a lot less a lot less of. But they've got the kid from Houston. Other than that, this is not really much of a much of a local appeal. Um, other than the fact that the team that beat Houston and Texas is there, um, but we're going to be there because it'll be a local event and it'll be um, a lot of stuff going on. But 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 but. We also got opening weekend with the World Series champion Astros, the only professional sports team here right now that's worth a damn. Um, and of course, nestled in between there on Friday, uh, there is the Rockets' final Friday night game um, at Toyota Center. Their, their final Friday night home game, I should say, uh, at Toyota Center. They're going to host the, the Detroit Pistons. So we got a lot going on this weekend. But the final four is the big, I guess, sort of national event. Uh, baseball, regional sport, opening day is a national story. But the Astros and the White Sox is a local story. Uh, final four, man. We've we've talked tournament a couple of times. We did a tournament special ahead of the, uh, uh, you know, ahead of the tournament. Um, we we talked about the Sweet Sixteen the last time we talked, and now we're here with the final four. We got Florida Atlantic and San Diego State on one side. And we've got Miami and UConn on the other. There's been a lot of conversation about, hey, is this how this is bad for college basketball, that these aren't the blue bloods and these aren't the recognizable brands? And I can see that. I, I definitely understand that. But I don't think it starts with this game. I think that college basketball has had a brand issue for a while where it's become a lot more of a niche sport than what it used to be. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't hold – while I don't think that this matchup, this Final Four field is great for college basketball, I wouldn't argue that. I wouldn't hold like this matchup or this Final Four field uh, like the feet to the fires of, you know, a, a reason for an indication of the decline of, of college basketball. It's just a part of it. Um, but what do you think about what we've got here with these uh, these last two games? Um or technically, I guess technically these last three games since there will be a championship game after it. But um, but the final four matchups that we've got. Yeah, this is what happens when you get into a single elimination tournament. I mean, it's, Any, anything can happen. You're going you're going to get weird stuff like this. And I, I, I must say I have thoroughly enjoyed watching all four of these teams. I think all four are really good. Uh, and, you know, Florida, Florida Atlantic might be a nine seed or whatever, but it's because they play in conference USA and nobody really thinks all that highly of conference USA yet conference USA has been terrific in all the postseason tournaments. I think you have Florida Atlantic is in the final four. I believe there are two, UAB and North Texas are playing in the NIT championship. And then you had rice who went to a postseason tournament. And I think they, they split their two games in there. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Conference USA might not get a whole lot of coverage nationally and, and people might not think all that highly of it, but it appears Conference USA was a whole lot better this season than people uh, gave it credit for. Basketball team. I was going to say, I know North Texas stomped my Bearcats in like the second round of the, of the NIT. They stomped a, a mud hole in Sam Houston state, who, by the way, I believe is headed to Conference USA. 
So uh, good good luck, Sam. You should stay with that. But but to your point, yeah. Well, FAU is going to the American now, so they don't have to deal with. Oh well, good point. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, and it's and and I guess you, you look at Florida Atlantic's route to the Final Four. They beat Memphis in the first round, and they got lucky with the draw with Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, beating Purdue. So they had mm-hmm. a nice little they had a nice little breath there. But then just to get to the Final Four, it's not like they were beating a bunch of double digit seeds after that. They beat Tennessee, a four seed who you know was in the top ten for a good portion of the season, and then they beat Kansas State, a three seed. So it's not like they had an easy. You know, this was remember when Houston made the Final Four and they they were beating like they they beat a thirteen seed. It was Oregon State was like a thirteen seed or whatever Oregon State was. I don't. I think U of H was a two. They beat the 15 in the first round. They beat the 10 in the second round. Then I think Syracuse was the 11 in the third round in the Sweet 16, and then they beat Oregon State was a 12 or 13 uh, in the Elite Eight. I and mean, this was that, that's an easy route to the Final Four. No, all due respect to that U of H team. Um, aside from the one game, Florida Atlantic did not have that. So you know they had to earn their way into this, and they played really well in all these games. I mean, they played two really tough games against Tennessee. And uh, against, I mean, they, they had to overcome Marquise Noel just doing his thing uh, yeah. in that Elite Eight game. So uh, Florida Atlantic is, is really good. I, I, I like San Diego State. Um, just a tough, hard-nosed team that has been, you know, they've kind of been on the brink for a long time. And, you know, if the tournament doesn't get canceled in 2020, they would have been a one or two seed in that tournament. So we might be looking at we might be talking about San Diego State a whole lot differently if that tournament actually gets played and maybe they go on a big run, then all of a sudden you know the equation is different. Miami's been good for ten years under Jim Laranega. It's just a really good solid program, and then UConn is UConn, and UConn is really good. And just for whatever reason, they kind of fell off the map after that title in 2014. But they've been terrific, really, the entire season, and they're, they've probably been the most dominant team in the entire tournament. So I'm really looking forward to to the two games on Saturday. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think that you have four teams that are just playing exceptional basketball at this point. Man, I love to hear that. A lot of fun, exceptional basketball from somebody that watches a lot of basketball and covers a lot of basketball, Adam Spillane. Look. Let let that be the word for everybody that's trying to trash this Final Four and say that it's that it's not this or that because last year had all the blue bloods in it and these are teams. Uh, here, you know, I didn't say this on the radio, but I'm gonna say it to you now before we get out of here. This is my last thing about the Final Four and a lot of the commentary around it. And, and I was like, you know, at the front of this on monday when you know it's like reaction monday react to the final four field kind of thing and everybody's talking about how bad it is but what it really did honestly adam was expose the casualty of the college basketball watching experience how people don't really watch these games don't really enthrall themselves or or really like learn the teams and learn who's playing and so because of that, they needed to be, uh, some of these people needed to be Duke or North Carolina or Kansas. So they don't have to worry about knowing too much more about the game. They can just associate with the brand and say, hey, I either like that brand or I don't, or at least I know what that is. I'll check it out or I feel like it's worth watching as opposed to, hey, just watch the tournament. Okay. Um, 
all of the madness that's branded and associated with the tournament, it takes place. It happens. You know, Purdue loses. Okay, right. Kansas ends up losing. Hell, Alabama and Houston, two number one seeds, lost on the same night, like within half an hour of each other. And they lost. They got destroyed. Yes, they got thoroughly outplayed yes. by two teams that are playing this weekend. Yes, I mean, they were. Those weren't fluke games. U of H didn't lose on some fluke no. to to Miami. Uh, Alabama did not lose on some fluke to San Diego State. They were handled in those yes. games. Like yes. I, I do think that's the one thing that you can say about these teams is that their wins were not flukes. You maybe you can say it with FAU because they they got to play the 16 seed in the second round, but the win over Tennessee was not a fluke. They completely dominated the second half, and they had to outlast K State in the Elite Eight. None of these teams are here, but Miami. Um, they they got a little lucky against Drake, and they played well at the end of that game. They handled Indiana for most of that game. Yes. They handled U of H for most of that game. And then they just took over against Texas late in that game. So to me, you have the four teams that are playing the best basketball, which is all that you want at this point. And you can say, oh, we want the Blue Bloods. We want the Blue Bloods. North Carolina was terrible. Yes. Duke was soft. And you saw that against Tennessee. Kansas just wasn't playing well this uh, towards the end of the year. And, you know, last year, you know, Villanova was in the final four last year. They weren't good this year. So, I mean, I, I want to see the best teams. I want to see the teams that are playing the best. I don't care about history. I don't care about the tradition. I want to see the teams that are playing the best. And right now, these four teams are playing the best. That is Adam Spillane. I'm Brandon Scott. Shout out to Austin Mendez behind the scenes, holding it down producing this bad boy like we mentioned before the rockets they've got the pistons on friday at home then they've got the lakers on sunday we will be back to talk to you guys early next week and go over uh some of the some of the things that were over the weekend and uh and wrap this season up man um it's it's been a fun time we're having a good time with it man so make sure that you guys are subscribing rating reviewing telling people about the podcast as much as you can as much as you get an opportunity to and until next time y'all be good